Uh, how are you guys doing tonight? Kai Alpha, welcome to the big room. So excited to be here. Also so excited for this spring weather. Can I get an amen? Amen, that's right. One of the things I love about spring is it is baseball season. Right? America's pastime where we all gather together around and watch nine guys from the Dominican Republic play a sport really well. Come on, that's right. Also, it means uh, it's time for Harrisonburg Little League. So we had our first day of camps this past weekend. Got two more camps this coming weekend, uh, which I'll be absent for for uh, our missions weekend. So that, you know, who could say? That's how it goes. But uh, one of the things that excites me about spring and baseball is being able to spend time with my kids, hanging out with them outside, throwing balls in the backyard, and also uh, spitting. Um, so ever since I can remember, I have played baseball in the spring. And I don't know if you guys watch uh, grown men play baseball, but when I was growing up, they were always spitting, like to, to uh, sunflower seeds or spit or whatever. It's just like, this is, what it, this is what it meant to grow up and play baseball. And so like, I just have this reaction that whenever the temperature gets over like 50 degrees, I just like constantly spit. Can I tell you, that has been tremendously difficult and awkward wearing a mask. Um, and so <laughs> I've just been walking around and like, oh, well, got to change that mask. Oh, well, got to change that mask now. And so it's, that's, but we're adjusting, you know, we're going to get there. And so, um, <laughs> like, is, is he serious? Does he, did, his, did he really do that? Who could say? So anyways, we are in our series called The Struggle Israel. Talking about the struggles of our life, the struggles of the Israelites' life as they were first enslaved in Egypt, as we read about for the first couple weeks of the semester, and now as they have transitioned out of Egypt and they are trying to figure out how to get Egypt out of themselves. They're trying to figure out how to leave behind that past life. They're trying to figure out what is the next step. Where should they go? What should they be? They've left Pharaoh in, literally in the Red Sea. And so it should all be gravy from here on out, right? Nope, sorry, that's not what happens. And so now we realize that the struggle is real as they journey through the wilderness. And tonight, what we're going to look at specifically is the struggle is real to choose gratitude over grumbling. Have you ever had one of those times when you've been reading the Bible you should all say yes to that. Yes, I've been reading the Bible. Uh, have you ever had one of those times where you've been reading the Bible and it's like, man, this is for me today, right here, right now. The book of Hebrews tells us that the, the Word of God is living and active. And there are times in our lives when we read a certain text and it just jumps out for us. And we wish, we wish that we could apply it to someone else's life. Like, oh, nope, Lord, that's for Sam. And it turns out it's for us. Tonight's passage, can I tell you, Tonight's passage is for me, and so you all get to sit in the front row as I preach this text to myself. Today has been uh, a day. It has been a struggle, and it has been real. There have been so many things that have happened throughout the day that I won't get into because that would be grumbling, right? And as I try to figure out, as we try to figure out what it looks like to choose gratitude instead of choosing grumbling, as we learn from the Israelites in our passage tonight, as we think about what it means to be the people of God marked for this time in this space right here, right now, you get to join in 
as the text preaches to me and hopefully preaches to you. But have you ever been in a situation, do you have friends, or is it even you, where nothing is ever good enough? You don't have to shake your head, you don't have to point, please don't point, that would be super awkward, right? Um, you can uh, make faces with your mouth, but only because we can't see your mouth. That's not going to stay open. Tough. Hate to see it. I do this every week. It's like one of these days we'll get to the Psalms and then it'll stay open. Um, not this semester. Nope. So, okay, here's, you got, you got that friend, right? And it's like, hey, where do you guys want to go to eat? And you pick a place to eat, and they're like, ah, oh, no, I don't want to do that. I don't like that place. No, oh, not, no, they were mean to me last time, or... No, I can't do that because, uh, no, I had that for lunch yesterday, or no, I had that three weeks ago on a Tuesday, and now I can't have it on a Thursday, or no, I only do that on certain days of the week, and it's like nothing is ever good enough. Or maybe it's your apartment, and maybe it's the house you grew up in, right? And you spend all this time cleaning your room, or you spend all this time cleaning the common space, and then somebody walks in, and instead of noticing that you clean the apartment, instead of noticing that you did what you could do, instead they notice all the things you didn't do. Oh, well, you didn't take the trash out after you dumped the vacuum cleaner in there. But I vacuumed! Or, like, why, why didn't you... <laughs> I love the pointing. It is so good to see, like, it happening all throughout the room. Or it's like, or you put the dishes away, but you didn't put them away correctly, which uh, I'm, I'm going to confess, I sometimes do that on purpose in hopes that I won't have to put the dishes away again. Um, and so that's just a confession, right? You just, you just put them away in random places, and they're like, don't ever do that again. Deal. Um, and so it's like, but why, why do we have to grumble? Why complain? Why not just be happy that it even happened, that I like took this time to do it? And then we realize that complaining, grumbling, is like the way of life, right? It's what we do on the internet anonymously. It's what we do on the internet, not anonymously. It's what we do to our friends. It's what we do about our friends. It's what we do with our friends. It's what we do in our minds. Where instead of being grateful for the things that are happening, instead of having gratitude for what is going on, we instead focus on the negative. We instead complain. We instead grumble. And it turns out we're not the first people to do this, right? We've gotten it very honest. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Exodus chapter 15, and we will journey with the Israelites. We're going to start reading in verse 22. As you may remember from last week, the Israelites have gotten out of the Red Sea. Okay, the Passover has happened. The Lord has led them out of Egypt. They have plundered the Egyptians on their way out. God has uh, saved them by uh, bringing the plagues upon Egypt. God has saved them by his mighty hand. Then as they had their backs up against the wall at the Red Sea, God parted the waters. The Israelites went through, and the Egyptians did not. Now, let's see what the text says. The text says, starting in verse 22, then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. Sure. For three days they traveled into the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. 
That is why the place is called Mara. I just love those little asides in the text, like Mara means bitter, and so the place was called bitter because the water was bitter. It's unclear from the text that whether the Israelites named it that, or when they got there, there was like a sign that said Mara, and they're like, huh, wonder why this place is called bitter, and then they had a drink, and they're like, oh, checks out. And so the people grumbled against Moses, saying, what are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. Imagine that, in the desert. He threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink. There the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them, the Israelites, and put them to the test. He said, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Just as I healed the water, I am the Lord that heals you, Israelites. We'll stop right there. We'll finish that chapter out here in just a few moments. So the Israelites have been three days. Three days they've been out of the Red Sea. You can see a picture of this story, allegedly. Um, I guess they didn't take that photo because they didn't have cameras back then, which is tough because you guys don't have cameras either because you all just use your phones. And so they didn't have phones then either. And so that's why when they got there, they were like, whoa, the water is called bitter. And so as you can see, Moses there throws the um, stick or branch or tree uh, in to the water and it becomes good to drink. Isn't it fascinating that just three days before, the Israelites had entirely too much water, right? At this point, they were like surrounded by water. The Egyptians are coming behind and they're like, there's so much water in front of us. What are we going to do? And the Lord parts it. He moves by his power. He parts it. They go through. They walk into the desert three days and they're like, we can't find any water. And it's like, well, just three days ago, you said you had too much water. And they're like, but now we need some water. What are we going to do? And the people grumble. Seven times in our passage tonight, the word grumble is going to happen. The narrator is going out of his way or her way to tell us that the people are grumbling. That this is, this is a key part of the text. This is a key part of the Israelites' life as they're in the wilderness. It's one of the reasons why they're going to hang out in the wilderness for much longer than they expect at this point right here. And it's like, because they grumbled. And I love that the text says that the people grumbled. Okay? Because it's not like the text doesn't tell us that one of the tribes grumbled, like one of the 12 tribes of Israel. Not, it's not just one of them. The text doesn't tell us that one person grumbled. The text doesn't tell us it's a certain house or a certain street or a certain family. The text says the people grumbled. And isn't that how it goes sometimes, right? You're hanging out with friends and somebody tells you something and it just kind of irks you or it makes you a little bit upset or they say something that is like super negative, right? And then you catch on to it. And then what do you do? What's the first thing you do? You either send a snap, you go to your friend's house, and you got to hear this. Or I can't believe that they did this. Or I can't believe that that happened. And then you start sharing that with the next person. And then what do they do? They go and then share it with the next person and share it with the next person and share it with the next person. And that's what I picture happening in the Israelite community. As these millions of people have been set free by, by the God who heals them, by the God who is moved by power, and then all of a sudden they're three days without water, and they begin to complain. They begin to grumble amongst themselves. They begin to, to talk negatively to one another, and it passes from person to person to person, from family to family to family. And soon the text tells us the people are grumbling. It hasn't even been three days. 
It hasn't even been three days, and when we think, we look at this text, and we're like, oh my gosh, the Red Sea, the miraculous power. It hasn't even been three days. And we think about our own lives, but how we do the exact same thing. We spend a little bit of time with Jesus on a Tuesday night or on a Wednesday night at our core group, or we spend time with him by ourselves, and then all of a sudden we come right up out of it with a ting or a ding or a ping or whatever your phone does, or a thought, and we go about our day. Grumbling, grumbling, grumbling. I think it's important to make a distinction between what the Israelites do and what Moses did. The Israelites and Moses had the same problem, right? There's no water. Moses himself also needs something to drink. They are in the desert, after all, right? Something must happen. So the Israelites grumble, they complain, and what does it say that Moses did in verse 25? It says, then Moses cried out to the Lord. And I think that this is one of the key verses that we're going to look at tonight, that instead of grumbling, Moses chose to cry out to the Lord. And look, I know that there are hard things in your all's lives. I know that there are things that you have gone through. There are things that you are going through that I have never experienced. I know that there are things that are going on in your life that I will never know about. And so as we talk about grumbling, as we talk about complaining versus gratitude tonight, what what I'm not saying is you don't have a right to speak things that have happened to you. What I'm not saying is that you don't have the right or you shouldn't tell people things that are happening, especially negative things in your life. But the question becomes, will you cry out to the Lord with it? Or will you try to take other people down in a cycle that is not helpful to anyone. Moses cries out to the Lord, Lord, we need water. Moses' response is so much different than the Israelites' response. And as Moses turns to the Lord, the Lord shows him how to get water. The Lord says, throw a stick. And I'm like, I've been over here kicking rocks. <laughs> All of a sudden, it's, it's the stick. No, it's not the stick. It's the Lord. As Moses throws the stick, the stick has no magical power. The stick has no power at all. The Lord is the one who heals. The Lord is the one who heals the Israelites. And the Lord is the one who heals the water. And it becomes able to be drank, drunken, drinking. One of those. You can fill in the blank. Write it in your notes as you would wish. What is the past tense of drink? It's drank, isn't it? Drunk. Drunk just sounds like that can't be right. But it could be. They drank it. And here's the thing. Like, I totally, I totally get why the Israelites did it, right? They're in the desert. It's super hot. It's dusty. They don't know, like, they don't even know where they're going. There's no map. There's no GPS. They're just following this, like, cloud and this, like, fire thing. And they're like, are we there yet? Like, I can't imagine, like, how many kids that were there that were probably saying, are we there yet? Over and over and over again. I brought the wrong shoes. We told you we'd be walking in the desert. I have to pee. Oh, my gosh, we're going to be at the end of the procession. Like, and it's like, oh, so much going on. And instead of crying out to the Lord, they grumble, they whine, and they complain. But the Lord is gracious, and he gets them the water that they need. And then he will provide for them more and more. Let me ask you a question. 
when you think about grumbling, when complaining comes to your mind, who is the focus on? When you think about your own life, when you think about times that you have been upset, times that you're uh, confused, like who or what is the focus on when we grumble? I think typically when I grumble, the focus is on myself. Focuses on me getting mine and me being raised up. The focus is on what I should be able to have, what I deserve, if you will. And some of you are like, nope, nope, not when I grumble. When I grumble, I, I'm thinking about other people. When I grumble thinking about other people, it's because I want to make sure that they get put down so that I can be put up. They don't deserve the spot that they had. They don't deserve what they should have had because that should have been mine or because I did things that they didn't do, or they didn't see it, or why did they get, and why, and why. And when I'm, thinking, when I'm grumbling about other people, it's also still about myself. It's not about the good of humanity. It's not about what's right and what's wrong. It's just about me. The degenerate me monster, as Brian Regan would say. But the Lord is gracious in verse 27. It says, Then they came to Elim. Let me give you a... Uh, a hot tip when it comes to Old Testament names, just say them with confidence and everybody around you will start saying them as that for the rest of their lives. Um, so they came to Elim, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped there near the water. So not only did the Lord give them water at Marah, but then he takes them to Elim, where they are able to sit under 70 palm trees and 12 springs. Now, like, I don't know if there were actually 12 springs and 70 palm trees. What I do know is that there are 12 tribes of Israel and that there are 70 elders in Israel. And then what the narrator is telling us is that this is a place of complete paradise, a place of complete protection, a place of complete providence, complete provision that the Lord has done for the Israelites. This is where he has brought them. This is what he has taken them through. He is showing himself to be who he has always said that he would be. He's the same God that brought them out of Egypt. He's the same God that parted the Red Sea. He's the same God that gave them water then and is giving them water now. He is the God that is continually providing for his people because he is the God that heals. So obviously the Israelites learn their lesson, right? God is the one that provides and provision leads them to gratitude instead of grumbling. Are we right? Wrong. I was in a meme uh, phase today, so you're going to get at least one more of those. And so... Uh, so, wrong. So let's continue reading and see what happens. So, uh, continuing, it looks like in chapter 16, it says, The whole Israelite community set out from Elim, so now they have left the place of God's providence, the place where God has provided for them, and came to the desert of sin. Okay, we know this is about to get trouble, right? Like, they're in the desert of sin. Watch out! It's like, yeah, so, which is between Elim and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. They have learned nothing. After this moment of great provision, after these moments back to back to back, 
AAU, national champions. Back to back to back times. The Lord parted the Red Sea. The Lord made the water drinkable at Mara. The Lord provided the 70 palm trees, the 12 springs. And then all of a sudden again, they go out into the desert. They forget it all. Instead of being thankful for what has happened, instead of believing that the Lord is going to do it, as Katie talked about last week, like having this attitude of trust as they find themselves up against the Red Sea, having this attitude of trust as they find themselves out in this desert again, instead they grumble and they complain. And isn't it fascinating? There's a couple of things I find fascinating in this passage right here. One is that they say, it was so much better in Egypt. Like, What? Do you remember the complaints you had in Egypt? Like, like you had to make bricks without straw, where you had these angry taskmasters, where you were literally enslaved. And it was so bad, and it was so much everything that you did not want. And the Lord brought you out of that. And then they have the audacity to say, you brought us out here to starve to death. What do we know about the Israelites as they march out of Egypt? They go to their neighbors, they ask their neighbors for everything, their neighbors give it to them. We know that as they march out of Egypt, they have herds upon herds upon herds of livestock with them. They've been driving them out, they drove them through the Red Sea, they continue to travel with them as they're headed to the Promised Land. And they have the audacity to look at the Lord and say, we're going to starve to death with all this food literally surrounding them that the Lord gave them as they have marched out of slavery. Like, it was so much better back there. It was so much better. And this sense of, of grumbling has, has not only, like, changed their currents, but it's changed the way they can even view anything. It's clouded their minds. It's made them think incorrectly about the things that were in the past, and it has made them think incorrectly about the things that are currently happening right now. It spiraled downward and downward from family to family, from person to person, and it's like, this is the worst thing ever. It is so bad. And we're going to die, starve to death. Oh, what's that? Oh, that's the goat I brought with me. Oh, yeah, don't, yeah, we can't eat that. Oh, that's a, that's a lamb. You know, like, you know what I mean? Like, I just can't imagine it. Like, how are we going to do this? What is going to happen? And I think that what they're doing is they are incorrectly comparing their current lives to the lives that they thought they were going to have in the desert or to the lives that they had back in Egypt. And I think a fundamental principle for us to learn tonight is that comparison is the thief of joy. That when we grumble, when we complain, when we're only thinking about ourselves, we begin to compare ourselves to other people. We begin to compare ourselves to other circumstances. We begin to compare ourselves to our friends, to our families, and it steals our joy. We lose the ability to be thankful. We lose the ability to see things rightly because we're only comparing what we want with what other people have. And here's where it gets really tricky, is when not only do we think about individual people, but then we think about our friend group, or we think about our small group, or we think about our house or our family, and what we do is we build composite people out of the best things of all of our friends. Do you know what I mean when I say composite people? That means like, like, okay, now I'm like thinking and it's like, man, I just want to, I want to read my Bible the way that he does. I want to share my faith the way that she does. And man, I want to be able to, to do this the way that they do it. And we start naming all these different attributes and all these different things that are the best things in all of our friends. And we build a person that's like the best part of each one of our friends. And we're like, that's who I want to be. And I'm not that. 
and I'll never be that because that person doesn't exist, right? You made that person up. But we find ourselves comparing ourselves to that and like, I don't stack up. And it's like, and then we find ourselves like, well, I'll never make it. Or they've got it easier than me. Or this isn't right. Or I can't believe this. Or what is this? Or why did that happen? And it's like, and it steals our joy because we're just comparing and comparing and comparing. So we wake up in the morning, we compare ourselves to yesterday. We wake up in the morning, we compare ourselves to our friends. We wake up in the morning, we compare ourselves to experiences that our friends are having on Instagram, which we absolutely know aren't real. I think that on the bottom of every Instagram photo, you should have to, to post how many pictures you had to take to get that one. Do you know what I mean? Like, like I feel like that would save so many people, like, like heartache and like, like you won't know how many I actually deleted to get this one. You're like, did he say that? Did he? Uh oh, why is he talking like that? I learned it from Jim Gaffigan. I really like him. And then, what'll happen? Okay, I've been around Kyalpha for who could say? 17 years. Yeah, we'll say that. That sounds good to me. And here's what happens when you graduate. Some of you are going to graduate and you're going to get jobs. You're like, yes, we are. And some of you are going to graduate and the Lord's going to ask you to go to the mission field. The Lord's going to ask you to do Kaiapha for a living and you're going to become a missionary for at least a season of your life. You know what's going to happen between those two groups? You're both going to be jealous of the other one. I have friends in the mission field that are like, oh, I wish I had security. I wish I had financial security. I wish I was living in America right now. I wish I had a nine to five or a seven to seven, whatever it is. I wish that I did this. I wish that I did that. I wish I could have a house in the suburbs. I wish, I wish, I wish. And they wish that they would have chosen differently as they compare their lives to them. And then those that are in the marketplace, those that are on that grind, they have the two-hour commute, right, and the nine-hour day and the two-hour commute home. You know what they say? Man, I wish I had that adventure. I see the pictures they post and the updates they give, and oh, I might have missed it. I wish that I would have done that. I wish that I would have done that. And we compare, and we compare, and we compare instead of focusing on what the Lord has given us and what the Lord has given us right here, right now. And the provision the Lord has given us and the providence that the Lord has given us. And instead, we're always thinking about someone else and comparing them to ourselves. Always trying to raise ourselves up and always trying to get out of the hole that we feel like we put ourselves in. When the Lord is the one who heals and the Lord is the one who is with us right here, right now. So in the Exodus story, it will literally rain down bread. Um, on the Israelites, which I'm like, hey, let's go. And so uh, verse 4 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this, this way I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. Jumping down to verse 8, it says, Moses also said, You will know that it was the Lord when he gives you the meat to eat in the evening. So not only did he rain down bread, but he also gave them meat to eat in the evenings. And all the bread you want in the morning, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us. It's Moses and Aaron, but against the Lord. So the text tells us that the Israelites will literally get manna from heaven. Why do they call it manna? Because manna is Hebrew for what is it? 
Uh, they like don't know what to call it. They don't know what this stuff is every morning as they wake up. And so they're like, we're just going to call it, what is it? And so they, they eat the manna. They gather on the sixth day. They gather, gather enough for the seventh day um, because the Israelites rest as the Lord rests. is hearkening back to the creation story. And, and they eat it. And the Lord provides again. And the Lord provides again. And he continues to provide for the entire time that they're in the wilderness. Until they get to the promised land, every day they have manna. And you think that would be a sign of God's great provision, right? Nope. The Israelites complain. The Israelites grumble. The Israelites are so frustrated the Lord has given them manna again. How dare he give us bread from heaven? How dare he do this? Why? And they get so frustrated... They get so upset, and it, like, carries with them the whole way through. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke. We're going to jump into the New Testament here. Luke chapter 17. So Luke is one of the first uh, four books of the New Testament. It is the third gospel. So if you find yourself near the middle, keep going to the right. And chapter 17... Got him. Uh, verse 11. The heading says that Jesus heals uh, 10 men with leprosy. Leprosy, a skin disease, um, would have made your skin turn white. It would have made you go to the edge of the city. You wouldn't be allowed to be around other people as, as leprosy was contagious in that day. And so they were like, we don't know what to do. You're unclean, so go off to the edge of the city. And so these men, these 10 men who are lepers, defined by their disease, right, Come to find Jesus to see what to do. The text tells us in verse 11, Now on his way to Jerusalem. I love, I love when the text tells us on his way. Because I often think that in our lives we get so caught up in the things that are going on, the things that are happening to us, and it's like, but Jesus here in the moment, on his way somewhere else, something else happens. And to look out for those divine encounters, to look out for those God moments, to look out for those times in our day, in our lives, where the Lord would put something around us in order to see something happen. So as on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us! When he saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. I love, I love that the text is just like, And as they went, it happened. And as it went, they no longer had leprosy. And as it went, their whole lives would be changed forever. And as they went, everything that they had ever been told, everything that they had been sent out to the edge of the city for was gone. And as they went, it was no longer who they were. They were no longer defined as lepers. They were no longer defined by the thing that had happened to them, but that instead, something new had happened. Something new was happening because God is the one who heals. Because the Bible told us this in our Exodus story, because the Bible tells us here in the story with Jesus and the lepers that God is the one who heals. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. An interesting comparison to our story with the Israelites, right? 
An interesting comparison to our own lives, right? An interesting comparison for me today, for us in this room, is that as the Israelites were provided for, they just got frustrated. As they got provided for, they expected more. As they got provided for, they expected things to happen as they wanted, when they wanted, and how they wanted. As these lepers see that their lives are changed, as the God is the one who heals them, as he tells them to go off to the priest, and they do it, and then they are cleansed, and then their lives are changed, only one comes back to say thanks. Much like the Israelites in our story, they don't say thanks. They aren't excited. Instead, they're frustrated. Much like what happens in our own lives entirely too often where God does a miracle. Where God gives us a core group that loves us more than we could ever imagine. Where God puts us at JMU for such a time as this where so many things happen in our lives by the sovereignty of God to get us here right now. And instead of coming back and saying thanks, we're like, but what about what aboutism, right? Isn't that big in our culture today? But what about? But what about? What about? And why not this? And why not then? And why not now? And let's make this happen. And what is going on? And it steals their joy. And they find themselves grumbling. And can you imagine these nine men as they walked off and they don't go back with the Samaritan? Complaining about the way that Jesus healed them. Complaining that he didn't even touch them. Complaining that he just sent them off on their way. Complaining about who knows what. Or maybe now expecting that the Lord's going to do more, the Lord's going to give them back, or this, or that, or that, or whatever. We can fill in the blank for ourselves because we've seen this play out in our own lives all too many times. Where the Lord has provided and all we can think about is the way he needs to provide next, or the way that we would have done it. We don't really know what happens with those other nine. And I think Kanye says it best. I guess we'll never know. <laughs> just for the recording, there's a picture of Kanye up on the screen. Just want to get that out there. I'm so proud of myself when I do things like that. Like, oh, he's so relevant three years ago. <laughs> so. Those ten lepers, one comes back, one says thanks, one is grateful, nine don't. Those millions of Israelites, one cries out to the Lord, Moses, the rest of them just complain. They grumble, they pass it from one to another to another. And I think that gratitude, having a sense of thankfulness, will help rid us of grumbling in our lives. Grumbling in the negative sense and grumbling in, like, just in our own lives. And if we can be thankful for what the Lord has done... If we can write down the things that the Lord has done for us, if we can keep our mind on the things that the Lord has provided for us, if we can focus on the positive, if we can believe that the Lord wants to do it, and if we can be grateful, it will help us to root this out of our lives, to see it not be there anymore. And the Lord could heal us in this area to be grateful. Psychologists believe that gratitude is a parent virtue. That as we are grateful, as we learn gratitude, that other virtues fall underneath of it. And I believe that this is what I've seen in my own life, that when I am living a life where I am focused on the things that are good, I'm focused on the things that I'm thankful for, I'm focused on the things that the Lord is doing in me, the Lord is doing around me, I feel less entitled. I compare myself to other people less. 
Instead, I just think about the way the Lord has done it for me. Instead, I just think about the things that the Lord has done for me, the Lord is doing for me, instead of feeling like the Lord owes me anything. In our passages tonight, we saw the Israelites grumble and complain, and we're going to find out they're going to do that when they get into the promised land. It wasn't just about a destination. It was actually the journey that was happening in their heart. They're going to complain a heck of a whole lot when they get in the promised land, and it's going to be a hot mess. You should read Judges sometime. And then we saw in our passage with the lepers, only one comes back. So the question tonight is, are we going to come back? Who will we identify with in our passages tonight? Will we be the one leper who comes back and thanks Jesus? Will we be Moses who cries out to the Lord? Or will we relate to the other millions of people in the story, not just the nine, but also the millions of other Israelites as the people grumbled? So I'm going to give you a chance to set your seat with every, uh, just give you a, just space. You already have space, right? Because we believe in social distancing. And so you can um, get out your journals if you want. You can sit in silent meditation. The band's going to go ahead and come on up now. Um, and I just want to give you a chance to be grateful. I want to give you a chance to think about some ways in which you are grateful to the Lord, some ways in which you are grateful for things that he has done, for things that he is doing and for the way that he has brought you here thus far. G.K. Chesterton says that he became a Christian because he didn't have anyone to thank. A life of atheism had made him realize that there was no one to thank for the things of his life, and so he looked for someone to thank, and he found Christ and so much more. So I think that as we sit here tonight, I would be remiss in a sermon about gratitude and a sermon about thankfulness, to not give you a chance to be thankful to the Lord for the first time. And maybe you wandered into Chi Alpha because somebody brought you, maybe you saw somebody on Instagram, maybe it, maybe it is, I don't know what it is, but you're like, you know what, that is the life that I want to live. I want to live a life that is grateful instead of a life that is grumbling or complaining. And when I think about that life, I think that that life is so much more fulfilling. There is so much more going on in that life. So if you feel like that's you, if you feel like tonight you want to take a step into a life with Jesus, you want to be grateful to him, I want to give you that chance to do that right now. So if everyone would like to close their eyes, you can bow your heads if you want as a sign of reverence. But if you're here tonight and you're like, you know what? As you talk about that life, that's what I want. I don't currently have that. I haven't found anyone to be grateful to for the things that are going well in my life. I don't have anything that is tying me to a sense of eternity, but instead all I have is here and now in my comparisons with other people. And I'd like to take that step of faith into this life with Jesus, into the God who heals, and the God who may heal my heart tonight. So if that's you, I just want to give you a chance just to raise your hand, to look up at me, whatever you feel comfortable doing. In a moment of personal security and steadfastness to say that is the life that I want to live. Mm -hmm. For everyone else in the room, I want to give you a chance in this moment to think, is this the life that I've been living? 
Is this the life of fullness that I've been promised? A life that is grateful to God instead of grumbling to myself or grumbling to my friends? That as I look at those ten lepers, I realize that the one who came back lived a much better life after that. As they knew what the Lord had said to him, as he lived a life of gratitude instead of grumbling. And that is who I want to be. So maybe there's a certain way in your life or certain people in your life that you know that cause you to grumble. Maybe there are certain comparisons that you've made about your current life, about your past life, about your future life. And you want a chance to release those to the Lord, I give you that chance now. The band is going to play for just a moment as you sit there silently in meditation, or maybe there's things you want to journal or things you want to say to the Lord. And after a moment or so, um, the band will invite you to stand, find your blue dot, um, and sing in response with us.